0: Welcome to the Seek Outside
1: Podcast. Hey, you, you think that's bad, so you're riding on the phone in the office. Seek Outside Podcast.
2: You like gross <laughs> stats, and I agree fun.
1: Some people are just wired that way. I kind of feel like uh, where like it just looking from the outside perspective obviously never done it the the best thing to do would be just to have a, a pack raft you know that way you can kind of bomb up and down the river looking for moose and then you know you can if you drop one up river you can you can float it down it seems seems like that would be pretty sweet nice and easy but i don't know if i'd trust myself doing a whole whole float trip that's just so much so much uh money and meat and all that stuff just locked into one like i've fallen out of yeah rafts are a little bit better but there's no way i would do a canoe hunt man you see these guys going down like that that yeti uh film or or whatever that was you know they they go down the river Mm -hmm. in the in the canoe and it's just like every single canoe i've been on has probably tipped once or twice that's just that's how they are they're they're so sketchy and to have your rifle and all that meat and the memories and shit like that just tied up in that canoe. It's not, doesn't look fun. Yep. But no, but yeah. it, I have so many thoughts on all this, but I mean, there's
0: a couple things that, you know, in my, so two thoughts, but one is we've been doing these different types of drifts probably for a little over a decade or more of, of different adventures that involve boats or, or drift boats um, or, or rafts. And we've been jet boating rivers for a lot longer than that. Um, but I find myself kind of looking for rivers where there's less and less river and more hunting because every kilometre of river that you go on, you're dealing with a number of variables outside of your control and, and the risk goes up every, every kilometre of river you're on, Um, you know, and, and there's other, there's so many other variables because like you said, you know, Ryan, like, you know, there's nothing easy about a moose, like no. there's even even the easiest yeah. moves that dies with this nose you know six inches from the side of the road and you can get to it with a vehicle it's still a project to get it into the truck so it's just exponentially more complicated when you add you know a, some type of a raft or a pack raft or a canoe to it it's just uh yeah just a pile of work so yeah. and all that work yeah. through on water means risk of you know yeah. something bad happening
2: and he my has, dad's already almost watched me drown once. We actually on a canoe in the Colorado tipped and he sat there and watched me not come up for a while. <laughs> so I'm, I he might be a little uh a little uh you know
1: scared of, of that happening again. So
0: but, yeah. but I think it's a good segue to maybe what we what we want to talk about.
1: Yeah, yeah. As, like, Get an in, in, introduction first here, Dylan, because I don't I don't think anybody uh, knows who you are. Aside from the the title of the podcast here, but uh, yeah, we kind of just started shooting the bull and then got into a full blown conversation that we can lead into a podcast. So maybe uh, give us a, an introduction first and then the segue. Sure. Th- thanks, Ryan and Lee,
0: and thanks for having me on and, and good to hang out with you guys. Uh, we've been chatting a little bit about hunting season coming up, and I and I, I kind of in that planning mm-hmm. time of year where you're kind of pulling your gear together and you're thinking about these hunts and expeditions and, and how you're going to put it all together and stay organized. Well, I think that's what we're going to talk about, but, um, but yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm Dylan. I've been doing the Eat Wild project here in British Columbia for about a decade and it's really about making hunting more accessible to what I would say non-traditional, uh, hunters. So folks who, who don't necessarily come from a hunting family where they've got mentorship and support, uh, to become, you know, safe, ethical, and ultimately successful hunters. So I do courses and workshops and, and create community here, uh, where people can feel welcome and, and supported to go through, you know, uh, their, uh, go on their own hunting journeys and uh, kind of brings me to cool places uh, like like here and hanging out with you guys and having a podcast to have excuses to chat with folks and, um, yeah, and just ultimately getting out on a lot of adventures and along the way. So,
1: yeah, it's been a good run for sure. So, yeah, glad to be here. Glad to have yeah, you, man. Yeah, happy to have you on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, um. Yeah, so so today the podcast is generally going to be about you know it's hunting season. Everybody's uh, getting diving into their garage, dra- diving into their closets, pulling all their stuff out, and probably most people are saying, "Oh shit, I'm missing this," or <laughs> "I'm missing a rain jacket," or whatever. Um, it's, but uh, uh, literally, yeah. it's literally today. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh you know planning gear, uh, gear planning. Um, that whole situation. But uh, Dylan, so I kind of want to start off with a question. Uh, You are a person in just like what you do with Eat Wild. You see a lot of new hunters, um, a lot of people new to the space that probably have very little um, to no idea what to do in terms of, you know, their first hunting season. Um, My first question for you is like, is, is there anything that stands out to you um, gear-wise or planning-wise um that new hunters could really benefit from? Hmm.
0: Well, I, I'm actually doing, this weekend we're doing our, we do these field workshops and we got a, we're doing a, a backpack hunter workshop. So we got 12 folks who are super keen to, to learn how to hunt in the Alpine and sort of spot and stock hunting. But really what it's actually a lot about is getting, Geared up and equipped so that you can mm-hmm. actually do this, and then we bring in a couple of mentors like myself and actually our friend Chris Prin, our friend in common, and mm. uh, yep, another another good friend of mine that that does projects with us. Um, and uh, we'll take these folks out and and yeah, you know, give them some mentorship and support along the way. But the the thing that I start with when I bring them in for the uh, we do a couple of evening classes ahead of the couple of days is, is just giving them a gear list, giving them this sort of and over the years I. have built a fairly comprehensive spreadsheet that sort of got, you know, essential gear that you need for, you know, your hunting kit and then your overnight kit and then your sort of kitchen kit and your kill kit and all all the little kits that you have, your technical kit for like, you know, your phone and extra batteries and kind of give people that. And that's actually the starting point where people sort of get plugged into getting prepared for this two day weekend is to sort of look at that list. And then they kind of get an idea of all the stuff they have to get their head around either, purchase or borrow um or you know or or utilize you know something that if they've got rain gear obviously for skiing that's perfectly adequate for their hunting adventure so it gives people like the the breadth of what they kind of got to start with in terms of gear and that's a great place to start there's just sort of seeing that gear list and how, how it's broken out is a good place to start i'd say
1: what about, uh, is there anything that like you as a hunter or us as, as hunters, uh, take for granted typically you're like, oh yeah, you obviously bring this out that, that beginners, like it doesn't even cross their mind. Is there any piece of gear that, that you can think of there?
0: Well, you know, I think that, well, there's a couple things I, I think that, you know, hunting is, is a lot of, for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's a people do a lot of other outdoor pursuits where there's a lot of transferable gear and skills over at the hunting space. Right. So a lot of folks like, you know, the, that, you know, they're mountain bikers or they're backcountry skiers or hikers and such. So a lot of this stuff is not like the, the gear part of the hunting is actually, you know, I think for a lot of people, the gear part of the hunting is the easy part because people can research gear online. They can see it. I mean, obviously, you know, the industry out there is trying to present gear and and tell the story of gear really well and so that we attract people to different gear. So I think, so for for new hunters, I think the gear part is kind of easy and I think it's something that I see a lot of folks get really into the gear part because it is so accessible. And so I think that's like kind of, it's kind of easy to check the box for folks for gear. I think it's the how to use the gear is the part Mm where people really sort of get tripped up. Yeah. And correct like, applications. <clears throat> that's Correct application totally. or just like, like yep. you get sold on so many things, right? Like, so for example, I'll have 12, tomorrow morning, I'll weigh 12 packs before they go in the mountains. And I guarantee you, they're all going to be like 60 plus pounds for an overnighter. <laughs> yeah. My pack yep. should be 38 pounds if for an overnighter, right? Um, without yep. my gun and stuff, because it's not hunting season here. So um so I think that's the starting point. And, you know, I've had people show up with, you know, just just all this cool gear that they probably don't need for the application that they're doing. Um, or, you know, they're bringing an extra pair of pants for a one overnighter in the, yeah, I know, for an overnighter. And, you know, I don't take an extra pair of pants on a 12-day hunt. So um, that's probably where people need, where the new newbie folks are, you know, maybe overcompensating with gear to make up for their lack of experience um, in the woods doing these types of adventures. So, and I, yeah, and I don't think there's as much support for that either. And that's maybe where, where I, you know, what we've done with our programs is try to create the support for the how to more so than the what to, you know? Yeah.
2: It's funny that you bring up the pants thing because even on like a 14 day AK doll sheep hunt, I brought one pair of pants one base layer uh you know and then like one extra t-shirt but then the rest was just all underwear and socks like i brought yeah. you know like three pairs of underwear and three pairs of extra socks and even then like that's not that much compared to like yeah, 14 light. days when people when people are used to like oh i change my underwear and socks every day i wear new pants i wear mm-hmm. this new shirt i wear a hoodie or whatever and it blows my mind that some people like wear a hoodie one time and then they'll throw it in the wash. I'm like, you don't realize that you have a T-shirt underneath that. You can just, but that's <laughs> I. Re- I digress. But anyways, like sometimes it's hard for folks to get past what they're used to at home, and so then they like pack for like home, but in the woods. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and more um, pairs of pants, more jackets that they just don't need.
0: I have a question for you guys. On your
1: expedition hunts, do you do laundry? No. Yeah, I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever done laundry. I mean, you know, I'm just a, I'm, I'm a good smelling dude, so I don't really need to. You, don't you know, need I it, don't I right? shit my pants. It's all good. You know? <laughs> okay, so so here's like two things.
0: So, I, I you know, I, I should do a video on it because it's sort of funny. Well, uh, but I, I take a dry bag, like a little, one of my, dry, like multiple dry bags usually in these expeditions. And I put a little bit of, uh, I, I bring that. Uh, Doctor Bonner's soap. I don't know if you guys have mm-hmm. that yeah. soap, but it's it's this nice you know, of I, it. kind of u- utility soap. You can use it for anything. Yeah. I'll put a drop mm-hmm. of that and and uh, maybe heat up some water and pour it in the dry bag. And then I throw my dirty underwear and, and my even my, um, you know my my base layers in there. You know every you know when I'm and then I can just they just make a turn my dry bag into a little washing machine. Like, yeah. And then, you know, put it on, put it on,
2: agitate and and agitate (laughs) a little bit, shake, shake, and then, and
0: then, and then just pour it out, you know, rinse it out the creek. And then, uh, you know, if you've got any kind of wind at all, like you can dry that stuff out in minutes, right? Yeah. And, you know, and while you're at it, you could even like, I bring a little, um, a little square of, of that, uh, of, uh, well, cloth basically, but the quick dry towel uh, Mm kind of small one and then I basically just have a bath in the creek, and if I'm feeling, if I got a little firewood around, I'll heat up some water, so I'm like bathing in warm water. I can have a little bath mid trip and do the laundry, you know, and get okay, feel like a million bucks. That's
2: luxurious, man. Yeah, I usually do what's called a horse bath. Um, well, hey, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is a uh, like a w- one baby wipe, man wipe, yeah. adult wipe, whatever we one. want to call it, and and just uh, hit hit the. Hit, hit the spots you know well that
1: um, that brings yeah. up a, a good point because um i think uh like in your gear preparation that's one thing that commonly gets overlooked which is the sanitation uh aspect of it or or sanitary aspect um you know i i think i always bring i have a little uh spray bottle with a hand sanitizer in Axe. my oh <laughs> yeah okay. bring yeah bring a- out. Maybe not cologne. Maybe not cologne if you're. You elk don't hunting. bring old My spice nox. on your hunt. Nah, nah. Maybe if I'm turkey hunting and they can't smell me. But uh, no. Um, but yeah. No, I, I think that's a good point. You know, uh, bringing some sanitary items, making sure because one of the big things, especially I think you could probably attest to this, Dylan, is uh, you know the the big jump, especially if a hunter, uh, a new hunter, is has not been like a camper beforehand you know they're just kind of dump jumping uh, straight into the deep end um you know there's a lot of things that uh they might not they might not get in terms of how different it is uh camping than being at home right and and so and i think sanitation um is one of those things that you should bring from the house out into the woods. Now obviously you're not you know you're not going to be clean out there. That's just how it is. But bringing some hand sanitizer, bringing like what Lee was saying, you know, some wipes to to wipe yourself down after after day 3, um mm-hmm. it, it it goes a long way um into making your hunt and your stay more enjoyable and in turn that makes it so that on day 5 when you see, you know, when you see that elk up in that hard to reach base and you're 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 just that much more uh willing to go chase after it so i don't know if if you have any tips for in in the sanitation i I guess you were just talking about laundry but uh is that something that you see a lot of people uh who are new to hunting you know uh do they go overboard with with sanitary items or
0: i you know i don't know i mean a lot of that stuff's pretty light right like you know so you don't you're not if you're doing a Few, you know, toothbrush obviously, and you know, some people cut the cut the end of the toothbrush off, and you know, but you know, I've seen people show up with a like a full tube of toothpaste. I'm like, you know, they make a travel version of that, and you know, there's ways of in a few ounces, right? Yeah, but I, you know, I, but I do think it's not something we talk about. Again, it's like you know, we spend a lot of time talking about gear, not a lot of time talking about you know, you know, the one thing I would like is like how to poop in the woods, man. Like how many, you know, like how to do that in a way that you know the next person that comes along doesn't either. You know, have to sort of come across it, or you know, or be impacted by it, you know, in any way, and ideally not anywhere near water where it could really impact somebody. I mean, th- those things are are probably you know we don't we don't talk enough about that kind of stuff and those types of learning and yeah, being sanitary up there, like you know, water, like how to keep your water clean, how to deal with your own, you know, you know if you go to the washroom and how to do that in a way that you know has no impact on the environment or other people or the experience of other people. Like those are things that I think we could do a better job of. Talking about no, nobody really wants to talk about poop that much unless you're joking nah. around, right? But no, but it, except hey, for us,
2: we, we have so many podcasts about pooping in the woods, dude. We do. Uh, we, I, it's crazy. To me. We do. We get and, found by people.
1: No, but I, I think you'd be surprised. Like we we did a, a little contest last year um, where we where we had folks write in about their their best stories. You know mm, of yep. uh, in the, in the outdoors, right? Their their most uh, like not dangerous but crazy stories out there and uh there was this one woman who like pooping in the woods was the one thing that was keeping her from doing overnight kind of stuff mm-hmm. well so her and her husband they like set aside multiple days to go out into the woods and the the, the sole goal of that mission was to, to poop in the woods now she ended up almost getting bit by a timber rattlesnake so it kind of it kind of nullified the whole the whole thing there but I think that's there's something to that I mean pe- there are certain people out there that whose experience will be diminished because they don't want to poop in the woods so it's worth talking about that's for sure
2: it's oh, for it's sure. the best part about hunting honestly <laughs> it's better pooping in the woods is better than, than any animal on the ground when it's cool crisp out and you're just there dropping drow dude it's 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 amazing it's freeing poo poo with the view yeah exactly exactly Exactly.
1: well i and i think uh you know the the bigger concept here that we're talking about not to just push it all towards shit um is is just is is being last thing yeah uh it's, it's just being comfortable out there and in your your gear planning Uh, You got to know kind of what what makes you comfortable, what makes it an enjoyable stay for you, Um, you know, and if you have to pack extra things, if you have to pack, you know, like we have a buddy, uh, Owen, you know, he likes packing a full like down pillow, um, a full size down pillow, an insulated sleeping pad that's like extra large. He likes sleep. He he likes bringing the, the zero degree bag even in the summer all for comfort. And if that's you, then that's you, you know? And, and maybe you have to cut weight off somewhere else, but I think it's worth paying attention to when you're prepping, prepping for gear. So prepping definitely gear.
0: one thing that I, so going back to my list concept and building on that. So like the list for me is a live document. So I have my my eat wild adventure list, I call it. And I share it with friends and, 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 and workshoppers that we do stuff with and, one of the important things of that is it's a live document. It becomes your little document, and you track, you know, what you actually use on a trip, and it becomes sort of your little notepad as well. So, something as simple as like, you know, when you, you probably should bring some aspirin or some ibuprofen for a trip, but you only need as many ibuprofen as the number of days you're other. You know, maybe a few extra for dosing up, but you don't need to bring a whole bottle. You don't mm-hmm. need five hundred. You need ten for a ten day trip, plus maybe five or something if you want to overdose on a couple days, right? And, and even toilet paper, which is something that is high volume thing, it not weigh a lot, but like it's, you know, you only need as much toilet paper as you need for what your body needs in a given day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, reel off what you need and make sure you got enough for each day and then leave the rest behind. I have a, maybe a couple extra days worth. But, um, but the, the, the point being is that like, I think, I think we will typically overpack a lot of these things and, we don't sort of, we're not very, you know, be a little more scrupulous about exactly how much you bring of each item and then yeah. try to, even you're down to your toothpaste. Like I kind of be conscious of like how many days of toothpaste do I need? I mean, that's, or, you know, what can I get away with, right? So I think that's good. And you, and you document that in your, in your little spreadsheet and, uh, and as you, you might find that like you're, I mean, you need eight squares of toilet paper a day. And you make a note of that so that when Mm. you're packing, you don't have to, (laughs) the the other half of the list thing is that like you come back to that list at the end of your trip and you document how many squares of toilet paper you came home with. So if you left with 40 and you came home with 20, well, you only need 20 next time to do the same trip, right? Maybe 22. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's a good way of thinking about it because I, I think a lot of like I even am responsible uh, for for doing this, um, you know, extra batteries, things like that. Yeah, bring gas. in You it's know, yeah, Fuel. extra gas. Um, do do you see? Do you tend to see that uh, the majority of new hunters that you're taking out are like are they typically overpacking taking three of everything or are they underpacking oh for sure i mean i think i think everybody and even your, myself as i'm ramping up for a trip so i got it we're doing a big
0: raft trip coming up and i'm overpacking i have to i have to withdraw myself from overpacking with every item so mm-hmm. so i think that our tendency towards you know if we're unsure about the outcome, we tend to, we tend to want to be over-prepared. And, and I think we do that as human beings, w- whether we're hunting or otherwise. Um, so if you're unsure about how much food you're going to eat, you would pack more, not less, mo- most of us, right? And uh, similarly, if, you know, my, my repair kit for my raft sort of, you know, keeps growing, even though it probably can get away with, you know, a quarter of the Tyvek tape and one patch, not 10 patches. Same with the first aid kit. I think we all kind of, overpack our first aid kits um, a little bit, but you know, how many bandies are you really going to use on a 10 day hunt? Um, yeah. So, so I think that, you know, and I think with experience, well, with experience, you should be get more, you should be more comfortable with being more precise around what you pack um, yeah. for, for trips. And, and part, and for me, I really need to document it just so I could see it. I can be like, okay, I really only ate 2,500 calories a day last year on a sheep hunt and, and sticking to that. And uh, as opposed to just trying to work my way up to 3000, cause I, I didn't use it last year. I'm even less likely to use it this year cause I'm a year older and I get a little more extra body s- fat stored um, for this year's trip. And uh, So, yeah, so I think that's part of it. It's just kind of being a little bit almost, yeah, tracking it being and trusting your own process and math. So, yeah, yeah, for newbies, for sure. Yeah, they're 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 not into that cycle yet, so they're just guessing. And you know, for the most part, people overpack, in my experience.
2: And I th- and I think they're gonna have to right. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes they just won't believe what they hear until they go and try it out. Maybe some things they will. Maybe, you know, you tell them, listen, you really only need to take this certain amount of thing for this five-day hunt. And they'll believe that. But then you say, hey, you really only need 2,500 calories. And I'll be like, no, I don't. I need 3,000. And then they'll go and they'll get home and they have a huge Ziploc bag full of food left. I'm like, oh, maybe I didn't. Yeah, You know, they just need... You, even me, I need to go through that every year. This last year, 2021, I realized my fire-making equipment kit whatever um you know was very not up to snuff like i i realized like man i really need to get something add something to this to where i can make a fire more easily just in case something were to happen because ryan we were sitting on that ridge trying to make a fire shivering windy and we couldn't get one going and that was like for me. I was like, oh, "Gosh, this sucks." I'm, I'm really still trying to pay attention to find elk, but man, my feet are cold. You know? Yeah. Um,
1: well, yeah, and that was just a ridiculous. I mean, because if if you were in a survival situation, we would have moved off the windiest ridge <laughs> in in the yeah. world. But no, I mean that's a good point. Yeah, I mean like refining. You know, I just saw uh, something on Instagram uh that i want to try it's those uh i think it's like dr sasquatch um they're like fire starting plugs apparently they're waterproof but it's it's basically it kind of looks like uh like fiberglass insulation and you can kind of rip it apart looks pretty cool but it, it looks super light um you know it looks looks to like just on the eye test it seems like it would work better than some of the other fire starting things out there just because it's you can kind of break it up and it it uh you know exposes more surface area to your lighter or whatever which yeah. to me seems like it would work better I don't know but I mean that like that's one of those things like you you just got to keep refining it and you know what I was like y- you don't know what you don't know right and you can listen to you can listen to all these you know gear podcasts or, or watch all these pack dumps on YouTube. But, um, you know, but then there's always that voice in your head saying like, well, I'm not going where they're going. I'm going to this area where I will need this two extra rain jackets. And it's like, you know, but then you go back the next year and like, why would I ever need two extra rain jackets? I've never lost a rain jacket in the history of my life. Why would I need two extra ones? So I think it's just, you know, um, it's just getting out there doing it getting experience and kind of refining refining your kit and and doing like what you're doing lead like looking at your fire starting kit being like okay you know there's always there's always improvements to be made um to to basically everything in life you know um so, but gear specifically there's always something new there's always something better to come out um so yeah i, th- I think that's a that's a very good point um, I kind of want to kind of want to switch gears here uh, Dylan um, and so you are a you you do all these awesome trips that I'm always seeing uh, up on uh, Instagram you know you I just saw that you after your wedding your honeymoon looked pretty awesome spending it on a boat um, but uh, I would say that most of your trips that you're doing at least from what I see are a little bit more um, expert level, um, and require a lot of planning. Would you uh, Would you just walk us through kind of like when you have a trip that you want to go on? What What's the first step that you take in getting that thing into reality? Cool. I like this question, Ryan. This is This is cool because it's, uh, it's kind of like
0: uh, you know we We have I, you know, I'm up here in – British Columbia on the west coast and it, we get pretty dark and wet over the winter and short days and uh, like you need something sometimes like I get a little affected by the that that type of weather I I, I get seasonal depression so I really need to like stay positive and think and, and and part of my process for my own mental health is to look ahead at next year's adventures and yeah. with any of these trips like if you're going to go explore somewhere and you're going to put together and maybe learn a new skill to bring on to that trip um it takes a I I start that planning process sometime you know after hunting season so sometime in December I'll get an idea or I'll or that and then I'll and I'll reach out and I'll build a team that's the first thing is you, you start thinking about the trip and then you you know sell the idea on a few people and then once you got your teams then then you go into the sort of the planning cycle and that starts with you know, for me, that's like a Zoom call with a couple of your your buddies um, that are down, and you sort of look at some maps together, and you kind of collectively get excited about that that idea, and then you kind of delegate some of the jobs. Um, part of my 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 Dylan's adventure list uh, spreadsheet also includes a tab for sort of to dos, like you know what what stuff do we have to accomplish here in the next year uh, to achieve this this plan. So the, so and then. And each, you know, each of the hunters or, or people on the trip, you know, may, maybe takes some responsibility in different areas. But so, some of the things I would normally do, though, is, is start that research process, which means, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I work for provincial government as a park manager. So I'm connected with um, lots of biologists and conservation officers here in the province of BC. So I can reach out to my network and say, hey, I'm thinking about caribou in this area or thinking about, you know, rafting this river you know, and you know, do you know anything about it? And and can you sort of sort of set me up and with a bit of information? So I, so I start that process of laying out those research is a big one. Probably another big one that you know we start early is is um, you know your your skills and competency. So Lee, you're talking about that pack raft or your rafting idea, like you know, for us when we started pack rafting, even when we started rafting in bigger boats. Like we start, we 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 did, you know, we we you know, researched gear, bought some gear, but then we hired guides to then you know teach us how to do this stuff and take part in safety yeah. courses, and and then you know, and then we got together and we and was sort of every 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 month we'd get out a couple times a month to do another river and just start to build our own you know competency and and, and confidence so that we could take that on this yeah. adventure with us, right? So that yeah. plays into the year. And it's kind of great because now you're, you know, you've got something to do, right? You, you're kind of give yourself a vision and a plan and
1: yeah. start
0: to, you know, plan that year ahead. You know, on that list as well is going to be the, the gear stuff. And I, you know, I'm fortunate because you know my gear, my gear kit is pretty full. I've been patching up a few spots here, and something comes out that I kind of want to check out, you know, or or upgrade on. But I'm pretty solid on my gear now. But you know, you know, every year you you start thinking about what piece of gear. Whether it's a new piece of equipment like a packraft, or if it's uh, an upgrade, you know, a few years ago, um, I I went, I got a, a new pack from Seek Outside that's you know packrafter pack, and it's you know, waterproof and super light and kind of ideal for what I wanted to do, and and that would that you know talking to Kevin at, at Seek Outside, you know, kind of talked me into this idea in this pack, and you know it's been it's been awesome. So that was like an upgrade for me over what I was doing before. Um, But, you know, for the most part, you know, building up your kit or improving your kit. But it's for me that that process, it starts like it shouldn't be right now. I shouldn't be on the phone with Lee saying, hey, do you have a a, can you help me out with the pack a week before elk season? Because, you know, that's not the right time to do it. The time to do it is February where, you know, you have a bit more time to do the research um, and uh, and get the stuff that you they have an option to get what you need and try it out and and yeah that's the other thing is like if you're gonna go get a new pack or a pair of boots like yeah you want to make sure you're running that stuff well before your actual trip time so
2: yeah because it might not be what exactly you thought it might be you know so if you have the time to research and plan one you can probably dial it in a little bit better than if you don't and then two even if you do do all the research you might thought, oh, I ordered this thing, and it's going to be what I want, get it, and then you kind of test it out. And you're like, oh, what? well, maybe I need frame extensions, right? Yeah. Just exactly like you with the pack. Maybe I need frame extensions, but I, I missed that in my research or whatever because it was last minute or I just didn't dig enough or whatever. So it's always good to research ahead of time, you know, look Look at uh, look at that gear list. Figure out what you can get right this second. Figure out what might take a little bit longer. Because I mean, everyone's got a budget, right? And maybe you can't afford everything on your gear list to just drop right here and there. I definitely can't. Um, my gear list is like a Bible length, probably. Like there's just always stuff I want to try, um, and I'm very guilty of being like a gearhead. Um, but what's the uh, coolest
0: thing you've come across lately? What's the what's what's the piece of gear that you're kind of excited about, Lee?
2: So the piece of gear that I'm excited about has to do with my fire starting kit and that's Zippo Typhoon waterproof matches. I'm not a big match guy, but I saw these things and I I was watching a dude, he he struck it. It started to, you know, it started flame. He stuck it in the snow, brought it out and it was still burning. Hmm. Wow. And they only weigh like a quarter of a pound with with the little metal waterproof thingy. So I was like, oh, I could ditch that, throw them in a Ziploc baggie, and they're super light.
1: So I'm going to try those. I'm always a little suspect of those waterproof matches. I, I, I know, but like, I'm
2: going to try it, Ryan. Yeah, I'm going to try yeah. it, and I will let you know. And if hey, if it's bad, you can say, I told you, Lee, you could tell me that six ways to Sunday, but I'm going to try it.
1: Yeah. Hey, I mean, I hope they work, man, cuz you know, matches are matches do, are and, nice. They look know, good, and
2: like coupled with that fire starter stuff that you were talking about, that <clears> kind of like, you know, can get some structure to it and get yeah. a lot of airflow through it. Um I think coupled with that, it would basically start anything, even a special yeah. downpour in Pacific Northwest,
1: BC. I, I uh I just got a, a butane torch. Um <laughs> like a backpack (laughs) well you know like a like a smaller (laughs) lighter uh torch um but i'm kind of intrigued with that and it was honestly i just got it uh due to our last trip in in montana lee because we couldn't get a a fire started for to save our lives literally um And, uh, I was just like, man, I wonder, you know, a butane, obviously you got the cold to deal with, uh, but as long as you keep that thing warm, I I think, you know, you could probably get a fire started anywhere and it's worth, worth the wait there, um, in, in my eyes. But, um. What about you, Dylan? What, what, what's a piece that you're like looking at that you really want to get? Big sigh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so many of them. So Actually, many to be honest, I,
0: I'm, I'm doing my first trip this year with a, with a buddy of mine that does have relationships with, um, with companies. So I'm, I got a couple of pieces of gear that it'll be interesting that that I have to wear because they match the rest of my gear if you catch my drift, so, yeah. So that the photos look right or whatever, right? So it's a great opportunity for me to go and, and, and do something like this, but it, it means Try I'm switching out a stuff. couple of pieces of gear that I'm not you know, 100% comfortable with. So it's good I got this weekend coming up where I'm doing a trip and I can try out some of this new stuff and make sure it, it's going to work for me. But, um, so that, that's kind of an interesting concept, just not really used to that because after, you know, getting pretty comfortable with what I got, trying something that is not necessarily my, my on my program, but it's quality gear and uh, I'm sure it'll be just absolutely fine just getting used to it, right? Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, I'm hoping I think you, I think Lee you were I think we were talking about getting on one of those little Sill tarps that are the little ultralight tarps from Seek outside mm-hmm. and uh, that's something I would like to try and um, play with a bit because it's got a, a little bit more tech tech in it than the current um, tarp that I'm using. I, I've always put packed a tarp with me for rigging, you know, in in rigging up to stay out of the rain. Just a yeah. little like that's what one 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 pounds three ounces or something like that. It's enough tarp for two or three people to huddle to, out of the rain. Um, but yeah, looking forward to, to checking that out this year.
2: Yeah, the DST. Yeah. I think that's what we talked about. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, saw
0: th- I saw that on the, the, the Gritty guys were running one of those on one of their trips. and Yeah, and, uh,
2: DST cool. is firing away. And I, I know I work for Seek Outside, so I might be a little biased. But in terms of tarps, like they seem like pretty a pretty saturated um field right in terms of like tarps to use in a hunting situation or just in an outdoor space at all but the dst is sweet just because of that one feature that lets you you know set it up in i don't know a dozen different ways
1: yeah the the trick trekking pole patch in the middle yeah and And there's so much more you know like there's so many
2: more ways you can set it up you know just depending on your terrain your your vegetation features like how many trees you got around like it's just the possibilities are endless with that thing and I, i love it to death
1: yeah um so dylan what are you what are you typically looking for uh in in a new adventure like if you got a new trip on the horizon what what's the one thing that you are seeking obviously you're looking for a new animal but uh but like what else are you looking for in an adventure
0: uh, i think you'd find common ground amongst all the adventures we've done i mean num- number one is wilderness and seeing a piece of wilderness um, up here in bc uh um a number of the provincial parks or that we can, we can hunt in, our, in a number of our parks and that, cause they're just these huge, like vast wilderness provincial parks that are protected. So I, you know, I, and I, as, and I, you know, I've been doing, I've been a park manager, or park ranger for 25 something years or something like that. So, you know, any chance you can go to another park, there's over a thousand provincial parks in BC. So, you know, my goal is to try and get to as many of them as I can. And, and some of the ones that, you know, they're, it's a, hundred mile float plane ride to get to them. So if you're going to fly somewhere, we'll just go to, you know, one of my parks and um, provided it's okay to hunt there and um, check it out. And that's part of my, you know, uh, yeah, just the remoteness is key in the wilderness and just seeing a landscape that you could, you know, not otherwise see unless you had to create some type of expedition to get there. Um,
2: That's uh, man, that's what I like too, is just like looking at a map, finding a spot going there and seeing it with your eyes and putting your feet on the ground. Like, like you said, in December, when you get, you know, text some buddies or whatever, say, Hey, you want to go do this thing? Start looking at maps. That's just so much fun to look at maps and just like, look at the possibility of wilderness and like what it provides. And, you know, I've got like a million different trips I want to do. And hopefully I get to do them all before, I uh, I leave God's green earth here, but uh, you know, like you know, oh, man, a thousand parks, a thousand parks that, would be. Easy. Yeah, that's, Where that's do insane. you start?
1: You know, and I know. You know, yeah. like, well, that's a good segue because you you guys are about to put on a e scouting course. Am I correct there? Well, we're we're uh, this weekend we're doing our backpack hunter workshop. We
0: just launched our e scouting. Online course, so anybody can go sign up for our uh, e course, basically, and it's um it's on our website eatwild.ca, and uh, we've got a couple up there now. they have got one on uh, butchering and meat care in the field, uh, another e course um, that we put together during the pandemic. We kind of moved out, like kind of lonely and started building a bunch of online <laughs> webinar stuff and kind of maintain connection to community and continue to do what we do. And and out of that came quite a bit of content that I eventually got around to recording um, into sort of learning segments. And now it's sort of up on a semi-professional looking platform. So if you wanna learn about this stuff, you can go check it out there. And we're gonna build on more on that over the this coming year and continue to just create learning content for folks kind of in a, in a structured way. Um, but yeah, so that, yeah, oh, the, yeah, the e-scouting course is a cool one. I'll, I'll send you guys access to it because it's kind of fun.
1: Yeah. I'd love
0: to get your feedback on it. It's, you know, a little bit, obviously it's it's a little bit focused on, you know, the hunting in BC and how we look at the landscape because we, we do have so much public land here. Um, and uh, we yeah. get the benefit of sort of looking anywhere to go on an adventure. Uh, but nonetheless, there's some great, great tools to, to, to look at before you head out. And that's a huge part of the planning process that you eventually get into is that, you know, getting out of that micro level, like you get those big ideas as to where you're going to go and what where, where you're at, you know, which say park or which area of wilderness you're going to fly into. Um, then you're going to pick whatever mode of, you know, are you going to bring pat rafts? Or are you going to hike? Or are you going to fly in? Or are you going to, you know, just hiking off the highway? All of those mm-hmm. questions happen, but then there's the, the, the sort of the much more micro approach to figuring out You know, how are you, how are you going to get from, say the lake up to where you think you might actually find an animal? Um, So that route finding to get, you know, from your access point up into the huntable areas. And and for many places here in BC, that's that's tricky because it's this big country. uh, There's a lot of terrain that's not very hospitable, whether it's blowdown or steepness or just generally
2: not cool. Well, and there's like a lack of trail system. Oh yeah. In the lower forty eight of the US, it is surprising. You you will look on a map and there is a designated trail there that's like named. You know, and, and on Onyx or where whatever app you use, it has, you know, like the 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 steepness grade. They know they know it's there, it's there for anyone to find. But where you guys are going, there's no real trail, at least for most of the time, if I am understanding correctly.
0: There, yeah, there wouldn't be a. Rec- I mean, there are recreational trails for sure in some of the higher destination areas, but you know, typically, you they'll be well. There's there's always a trail there. There's always a way up or down. And, sure, you know, a, but
2: no a, a, like designated. No, huge no designated trail. trail. No, no maintained
0: yeah. trail. There's often game trails or just the. You know, and that's something that we we talk about a lot and as we get more advanced in some of these workshops that we do. Is like, you know, what type of terrain features would offer the best chance of there being a trail on them, either a game trail or where there's been a, a one of our hunting outfitters has built a trail. Uh, those trails are, off, are often secret trails because they yeah. don't necessarily want the public coming in and using their horse trails or their access trails. But if you kind of, you know, you, it doesn't take, there's only a couple places you may or may not be able to get up the mountain. And often there's going to be a horse trail going up those spots. If there's only limited places that it could possibly be and, and that's part of that e-scouting process, is sort of doing that analysis of your slope and aspect and terrain cover or ground cover. And then you're like, I bet you if there's, there's going to be a host trail, it's going to be right here. And so, generally, so that's- right.
1: That's so. That's kind of what you're looking for is like the type of cover, ground cover that's that's there. The slope of the trail when you're looking to see if there is going to be some sort of trail there. That's that's what you're looking at to see. Kind of.
0: Yeah. You also got to think about horses, right? Like horses are kind of you know they they're going to they, they don't mind going up and down. One thing. I mean, you you and I mind going up and down when we got a backpack on. We want to go up and that's it, right? Um, <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want it. But you, and and they typically horses don't love steep stuff. They like, they solid ground if they can get it. Um, so, you know, where we might take the shortest route as, as backpack hunters um, because that looks like it's the shortest route and the easiest. Um, I think a couple things with, you know, horse hunters will will look for longer ridges that are, are continuous. Um, you know, whereas, you know, as a backpack hunter, I might look for forested areas, ho- forest cover areas because I know that at least that there's not a lot of brush underneath the forested areas. So if I can gain a lot of alpine, or uh, elevation while well, cruising through the forest, it might be less dense, the under, understory. But then, say, horses, they might actually like, they don't mind going through more open uh, areas because they're, you know, a four foot high berry bush or willow is, is nothing to a horse, but it's, it's hell to a backpacker. So there's some differences that you'd be looking for between whether you're sort of piecing together a root as a backpacker or, or piecing together a root as a horse person so Man. Um sort of things i'm yeah. thinking about anyways
2: and a lot are, of times like we'll <clears throat> like as a as a horse packer we'll switch back often you know like we're not worried about having to switch back a few you know maybe even half a dozen times up a up a certain face um as long as as long as we like you said got the footing and you know as long as your string isn't like a mile long, <laughs> you know, your string is yeah. not like 12 horses deep.
1: Um, so what are, what are some of the other things that uh, are as, as you go through your e-scouting course, what are some of the more advanced um, tactics uh, aside from, you know, maybe finding what, where a trail is? What are some of the other concepts that you guys dive into?
0: Well, I think one thing that a lot of folks you know, I certainly, when, when, when I'm teaching po- folks in person, like the fundamentals of navigation is a good one. Like mm-hmm. learning about, you know, how a compass works and, uh, and, you know, but probably learning a little bit about how landscapes work, like, um, you know, where you're going to find water and where you're going to find ridges and how sort of mountains sort of come together in terms of ridges and r- ridges and how, you know, kind of starting to, develop a bit of a language of mountains in your head. I, mm-hmm. I, I haven't quite got the right way of telling these stories. Well, it's coming because I've been doing more of it now. But but like when I look at a mountain, like I, I look at lots of stuff going. If I'm stepping back, I'm like, okay, well, that's the ridge i go up there. That, like looking at that different, um, you, just looking from afar, I can see the different um, uh, types of tr- uh ground cover that'll be on that mountain. I can see where the where there are um, terrain traps or no-go zones where you just physically couldn't get through. Um, and and then I can, of course, can see the huntable habitat as well from if I'm standing there looking at it. Now, mm-hmm. I can do the same thing when I'm looking at Google Earth imagery, right? Because I can tie that to what I know from having looked at it. And I can look at that Google Earth imagery or fat maps or whatever whatever software you might be using. And I can sort of see where huntable areas are with no go no go zones where there's water you know where there's you know the where it's too steep to navigate um, and then where it's likely the most comfortable to walk up um, and and starting to kind of really be able to see that and interpret that from both your Imagery, And then to be able to go to the next step, which is to really understand how topographic maps work and how contour lines work and how and what they're actually telling you in terms of both huntability and access and also safety, right? Like that's the other thing I think that we, I think a lot of people take on more mountain than they can actually do safely. And I think you could really see that when you start to look at topographic Imagery or maps and the contour lines, and if they're really close together, that pretty much means it's a cliff and you can't go there.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, but that, that's the best way to explain it, too. Like, you know, like topo for dummies, lines are far apart, easy walking. Lines are super close together. You, you could fall and die, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. That, that's one of the good things about Onyx and and you know these other digital mapping softwares right now is it, it makes it so much easier to kind of uh you know interpret that topo topo map uh to you know because all of them have the three D uh, function now, so you can you can throw the the topo map on and then turn the three D on and be like oh okay, you know looking at the topo map. I thought I might be able to hike up that looking at the 3d ain't no way. And I I think, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things about scouting that, uh, that a lot of people, you know, maybe misjudge or, or, or don't think about, or I don't, I don't know what happens there, but there's a lot like you can look at a map all you want, but until you get there and put your eyes on it, you know, you really don't know. And, and it's the same thing with like like planning a hunt right like you can plan like oh we're gonna go to this meadow the first day but until you get there there's there's really not much I mean you you can scout and find all these good spots and, and like finding water is a, is a big one right if you're if you're backpack hunting um, you know finding water is probably the most important thing because so especially if you're going early season like down here archery elk you um, you know you're burning a lot of a, a lot of water you're sweating a lot you're losing a lot of water uh mm-hmm. high elevation um so so having some spots where you can just you know that there's water um and key thing knowing that there's water right there's a lot of seasonal streams that you see appear on topo maps can't always rely on those um but yeah i, I, I just think that's uh you know e-scouting is awesome and it's it's a tool that especially for like your planning stages uh it's so great to in the off season just be able to dive into a map and be like i want to hunt or or hike into this area but i i just find there's so many spots where you're like oh that looks good and then you you drive up to it and from the from the spot that you thought you were going to access it from you're like oh there's no way there's no yeah. way I'm going to do it. So well, totally, uh, and I think that's
0: where you know the other piece of e scouting comes in is your access. Like how, like mm-hmm. you, you might circle a spot that's like awesome habitat and it's going to be super huntable, but how are you going to get there? And and for us in BC, we have a lot of uh, forest service roads, so logging roads. So mm-hmm. you know that's part of our e scouting too, right? Like just navigating logging roads and which ones are active and which ones are deactivated and which ones are navigable, and then looking for logging roads that may climb up close to this piece of habitat you're hoping to get to. And then psyching out a route from there on those ridges I was talking about to there, but then the the key exercise is to do that measuring right. And and I, I imagine Onyx. I've never used Onyx. We have something called um, iHunter Hunter uh, up okay. here in in Canada, and, and they do a very similar product, I believe, to to the uh, Onyx Maps folks. Um, but you can draw a line. Like you can just take your cursor and kind of draw a line from where you park your truck up this ridge you think you're going to try and get up up to where you think you're going to start hunting. And if that line is, like, 12 or 13 or 15 kilometers up a hill, like, that's a that's a pretty big commitment. Like Yeah. yeah. That's a lot bigger commitment than I'm willing to make to get yeah. into an area, for yeah. the most part, with a full pack
2: on. Especially uh, if you're, like, looking to kill an elk, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You out. Out.
0: Like, yeah. yeah, sheep for sure, but, like, after that, yeah, even a mule deer, like, that's a that's a haul for a, yeah. to get a mule deer out. Like, yeah. you know, my, you know, some rules of thumb for me on, tr- like, you know, like, I think we hiked about five or six kilometers from the river up to our sheep's camp.
1: That so was, that's what, that like that was, two and a half miles, right? Yeah, two and a half miles. Two,
0: yeah, yeah, I guess two, two or three miles. And like, yeah. that was still a four or five hour grind up, you know, looking for the yeah. trail, losing the trail, finding the trail. You know, it's hot, buggy, it's just awful. Like, it was like, you know, I think probably six hours of not very pleasantness. And that's like, that was like, like I said, like three or four miles. Like, it's not not a lot. So if you're going to times that by three or four, yeah you're, yeah, you're taking on something that's not really possible or else you're going to be camping on the side of the mountain and, you know, some steep slope, you know, hold just you know, <laughs> some Yeah, just deer holding bed. on yeah. for deer life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. And, yeah. and I think that's a, you know, that, that's really where you can benefit from doing that, that e-scouting process from that planning stage right up to sort of that access. And then eventually into like, how are you actually going to hunt and, you know, picking the knob you might be able to sit on and see the most amount yeah. of country and glass. So, so anyway, the that, that longer story, that's that's how we that's what we're trying to take people through on that process and and nice. give people as many tools as we can to yeah, get them so they at least they have a, a good start and and uh can start their learning process and and do you know do some do lots of stuff wrong still and learn from that, but it's a great place to start.
1: Do you think that uh that new hunters nowadays are um Do you think that the, like, obviously the, the knowledge is there, right? YouTube and all that stuff. Like there's so much knowledge you can, you can kind of jump, um, like, like even when I was growing up, right? Like there wasn't e-scouting, there wasn't, it was just topo map scouting. And if you wanted to to find a map for a different area, you had to go buy it, um, but mm-hmm. then all, all the tactics and, and tricks and stuff like that on podcasts and stuff like that. But it's it's a lot of information. And my question is, do you think that um, do you think that hunters' success rates, um, like like if there was a, a graph right where it was like number of years spent before the first animal. Killed? Do you think that's shorter at all with all this information, or do you think it's it's roughly about the same because it's still just it's still just hunting?
0: It's just hunting. I mean, that's the funny part. Yeah. Like, there's there's uh, that's a great question actually. And I and I I'm gonna do a survey. I've been doing this for ten years for Eat Wild, and, I, and in our ten year anniversary, I'm gonna send a survey out to everybody that's done one of our courses, and I want to get this feedback as to like kind of what you're talking, like you know how much. How, you know how many years are you for success you know what, what were the barriers what were the perceived barriers what were the actual barriers I'd love to ask all these questions to all these people I've met in the past 10 years because I it would, it would tell a really cool story I think so mm-hmm. I, I'm keen to do that yeah. so I, I maybe I could answer this question you know later in, in, in a few months from now if I get around to doing this but um, but my perception of things is like there there are some real real big ups when it comes to the current technology and probably the number one thing I think that's added to you know I I spent a lot of time trying to make sure that I wasn't hunting on private land, using uh, topographic maps and uh, and mm-hmm. my old GPS that just ge- basically just gave me a mark and no mapping, and and that was cumbersome. But you know, nonetheless, you know, we once you sort of mark everything out, you're like, oh, hey, well, that rock is in private land. That tree over there is outside of private land. If we walk up in the northeast direction, we're all good. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like you know, like I figured that out when I was 14 years old, and I've been hunting the same hill ever since. Now I got really good mapping that tells me exactly where. The, the, fence line, sh- you know, there's no fence there on this particular piece of property I'm referring to. And it turns out, yeah, I mean, I could have probably dragged the deer out 10 feet over closer to the property line, which may have been a little easier to get it out to the road. But at the end of the day, like it's really made no difference in my overall hunting success, having access to this stuff. And it hasn't, r- I mean, like, I don't, I don't really think it makes as big a difference as we all like to think it does. Um, You know, there's there's this moment, and I don't know if you've experienced it, where like, you know, you you do all of this research. I I remember this when we flew into the Cassiar a few years ago, and we like we we eschewed the heck out of this lake and area that we were going to go into, and there's like four main drainages that come down into this 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 lake, and and we as a group we were had multiple Zoom calls like scouring this and looking at all the different aspects of how we're going to hunt it and where we're going to look for sheep, we're going to look for caribou. where we might find goats. And we had it all kind of dialed in, right? And we flew into the lake and the airplane took off. And I don't think any one of us took out our phone again and looked at a map because you're just looking at Hmm. it. You're like, okay, there's goats over there. We can make it through that pass. Let's go around here. Oh, that looks cool. Let's go over there. Well, let's go over there. And that's it. Like, I mean, like, and, and all of this e-scouting and, and, and we were e-scouting like three days away from our camp now, like in our efforts, right? You can only get so far in a day. Like, you can only get five kilometers in a day. So, why are you e-scouting 20 20 kilometers away? Uh, You know, it's sort of, in reality, like, a lot of the stuff, like, once you're there, you know, it's just hunting. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: That's that's how I feel. And I kind of almost think, like, sometimes... Like I think there's certain things that are are awesome. I think uh, like you know like what you guys do butchering, um, butchering meat. I think that is super important for people um, to get more when they are successful, right? To to be able to make those cuts of meat, um, to be able to make that bone in tomahawk steak or whatever. Mm. Right. And I think I think that e scouting is good, you know, for knowing where you're at. I think uh, electronic maps are great because everybody, you know, you already have this this built like in like in the past, you know, the, the to get a Garmin. Um, you had to first buy the Garmin and then you also had to buy all the all the downloadable maps that you get them on your computer yeah, the and then little micro SD
2: them. cards or whatever.
1: Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's great. But I think like some of the almost some of the tips and tactics, um, you know, because if if two guys are listening to the same podcast where they're saying, yeah, make sure if you're looking at this area, uh, you're looking for north and south, you know, north and south facing uh, ridges. And, you know, you want dark timber on the on the, you know, the, the north side and then uh, openings on the south everybody's gonna go there right they're gonna be like oh that's that's where i gotta go you gotta look for wallows right and so and and same with like elk calling i I think that especially like i um I, i think people tend to you know you hear these podcasts and they're talking about you know um like bugling over another elk while it's bugling right and and how that's always gonna work well I've been on, I've been on public land and it just does not work like that. That's just, that's a, that's a fact. Like maybe some places it does. Right. But in Colorado, at least where I hunt, uh, when the elk are bugling, if you do that, that thing's running off the complete other direction. That's just not, not how it works. So I think like in, in some regards, sometimes it can almost do the opposite and, and make your hunting harder and i think the the number one thing that you can do to be a better hunter is just hunt and <laughs> and do it as much as possible and i think there's so much value to hunting the same area or the or the same, you know, mountain range every year and learning, you know, what those animals do in that specific spot, right? because like it's that's so much different. and and that's something that you can't put on a podcast or you can't teach somebody where like you know where where I hunt you know like I'm just making this up but in the morning they you know they come down to this creek to get water or whatever and then at night they they go back up but they take this game trail not the other game trail and it's like you know that stuff is just it it has to be learned either you can either learn it from somebody that's already hunted there from a from a hunter or just by yourself so I I just think it's interesting you know like i said i think some of it's really great but i think uh like you were saying some of it's just getting out there and hunting that it's the only solution
2: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's just like they're at the end of the day they're critters and -hmm. they've got you know they're somewhat intelligent that mean meaning like make decisions based off of like a myriad of things so we can't just say if you bugle this at this moment, they'll do X.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But if you bugle at this moment, they'll do Y, and,
1: yeah. and,
2: and and you know other things. So it's just like there's nothing that's going to be time in the field, and like you said, historical knowledge to pull from. Yeah. Because every year it's going to be different, and you can every year you hunt there, you're going to be like, oh. Well, I know from the years that they could be here, 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 doing this, that, or that. Um, but never I know that they're gonna be doing X and it's always gonna be the same.
1: Yeah. But
2: I will kind of disagree with you, Ryan. Not really disagree. But I'm really enjoying hunting different places. Um I've kind of yeah. thrown out my my old spot. Um and, I, and I'm starting to hunt a lot of different places and hunt different states. Um, trying to plan a, a Wyoming and an Idaho uh, elk hunt. Um, not for this year, obviously, but um, for for the next years. And that's really just a premature getting folks together and getting ideas down on how to even apply for those states, really, is what I'm doing right now. But, uh, um, you know, just how to obtain tags is really what I'm doing. But, like... I think there you should hunt as often as possible, like you said, and hunt different game as often as you can. And if you really, truly love hunting, you'll never, it'll never be a chore to go hunt antelope. Even if your true passion is hunting archery elk in September, you'd be like, oh man, I get to go have a lot of fun chasing around a lot of antelope in Wyoming or wherever you're at, uh, Montana. And yeah yeah i think there's something to be said for reps getting reps in on like different game different places but then i I do kind of agree that if you can pull historical knowledge from a place that's like worth its weight in gold
1: yeah and i'm like i love you know i love going to different spots right that's that's part of the fun and figuring them out in a different spot right but i'm just saying like you know you're if you are, if it is your first spot in a in one location, I, in my opinion, I think you're putting yourself at at a disadvantage, whether it's a a big disadvantage or a, or a little one. It is a disadvantage over the guy that's hunted there, you know, seven years totally. in the past. But um, yep. No, I, you know, it's it's adventure, man. That's and that's what you really got to be getting out of it. Yep. So, so if you're lucky, you could do both, right? You could, Hopefully, like, and, yeah. And, and so my
0: in my program, like I, I've never done a sheep hunt on the same, you know, area or same, I never, I never replicated the same sheep hunt, sheep hunt plan twice. And mm. I, I, I think I, I killed a ram la, last year. It was my first, um, ram. The gentleman yeah, ram. Yeah. The gentleman ram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful animal and a great, great hunt, but it was 10 years to make that, to come together. So I did 10 other trips. Um, and now no doubt I could have gone, I mean, actually thinking about it, like, like second or third year, uh, Rob and I went into this one spot. It was just a great piece of habitat, just an awesome hunt. We had it dialed in and like, had we just gone back there the next year, like we for sure would have killed a ram. In fact, we probably were looking at legal rams, like for half the trip. We just didn't really have the comfort level yet to sure. pull the trigger, right? So had we just replicated what we were figured out, we would likely would have killed rams a lot earlier in that journey. But, but man, yeah, like I wouldn't trade like those other, you know, seven, eight, nine trips that we did are are so much fun and learn so much and like oh, give yeah. you so much to talk about too. Like, cause you know, mm-hmm. you eventually meet people and you're like, oh yeah, I've been there. I've been to that lake and you can, you know, share this little, little tiny bit of knowledge that only a couple people know about. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. But
2: yeah. but then I'd rather like, have a bunch of <laughs> unsuccessful trips than like a couple of successful trips, you know, like just choose not to go because it's not the same spot or it's not the perfect year for it or whatever. I'd rather just go and in, into a new spot, or or even the old spot, even if it's not a good year for whatever. If it's been a dry year, just go back and see what happens, and you know. Yeah.
0: So I have this problem though, like like there's uh. So I'm pretty sure if I go put ten days of elk hunting in the spot that I you know learned how to elk hunt and invested, we think we hunted there for about fifteen years straight, and we were successful. For those years, except for like one year, we, we didn't, we didn't kill an elk, but we had, that was our best year because we called in more animals on that trip than we had, you know, previous trips. It was just such a fun trip. We just couldn't find a six point bull on that, on that hunt. But then in subsequent years and previous years, we, we, we had had a ton of success and killed one or two bulls a year. And, and, uh, but, you know, after a while, like I want to go explore somewhere else. Cause elk hunting is so fun. I not want to go explore. Mm-hmm. So, so I started planning these other elk hunts and tried to find somewhere that might be more magical or might be more interesting to hunt elk. And then, but of course your success rate starts to drop off, right? Because you just can't rep it, with the knowledge that we built up in 15 years of hunting the same area and the learnings that you get from doing that just ultimately pay off. And so, so this year, oh, I, I've, I had a noticeable absence of elk in, uh, in my freezer for a number of years. And last year, um, Jay got a beautiful elk. So just like having elk in my freezer again, I'm like, like, oh, this is a am- Okay. That's it. I got it. I, we're, so we're going back to my sort sort of my original elk hunt with a bit of a adventure thrown into it as well. That's going to be kind of epic, but, but yeah, like, that's always a question. Like, do you, if you want to kill something, you got to go back to the spot you've been most likely, um, unless it's like mule deer hunting, I think you can probably kind of just go find cool country and sit around long enough you should be able to find mule deer but yeah um, <clears throat> sure. so you, you guys are
2: taking horses on this elk trip right
0: uh no we're, we're doing pa- we're in a pack raft on this elk trip okay and then we're doing horses for uh for a mule deer hunt later in the mm-hmm. season and that's a new spot that'll be a like a, a a new spot relatively low well probably zero hunting pressure um yeah and uh hopefully some hopefully a few deer around It'll be kind of cool
1: so, so you uh, you proposed to to your your now wife, right? Uh, on a on a mule deer hunt, is that correct? Yeah, en- engagement rock is the nice. name of the mountain. Did, yeah. So, are you guys uh, are you guys going to make that like a point to to go there every year to yeah, at so least gonna- do something?
0: So, shortly after uh, I proposed, she said yes, which was good. And then That's we good, yeah yep we were on our, we actually. I, 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 we'd seen a couple of uh, bucks across the valley where we camped and then you gloss across this basin and there's usually deer there. And that's the, it's, I've been, this is an old, old. well, again, one of those hunting spots that I've hunted for probably 30 years and refined how I hunted over 30 years and get progressively more, more opportunities to look at deer for sure. So it all worked. There's a couple of deer, uh, there's a couple of bucks on that hillside. So we're going to go run over there. And of course I have a plan to ask her to, marry me when we kind of go up and over the height of land and drop into this other basin. And uh, so as we were climbing up and everything's good because it's beautiful, sunny morning and there's like puffy clouds everywhere and snow-capped peaks around us and it's just gorgeous. I'm like, oh, this could work out great. And as we're getting close to the sort of the peak, before we drop dropping to the other side that's where we might see these deer. The, the clouds just roll in on us and it just gets cold and windy and just shitty. And of course, I look back and Mickey's like not loving it. And I'm like, well, this is not the time to propose when it's like cold, windy, and shitty. Mm-hmm. So we keep kind of cruising along. And then we're climbing up. We used to, but just about the summit, all of a sudden, like a good gust of wind comes up and just blows out all the cloud. We're back to like Bluebird. I'm like, oh, perfect. And the sun comes out, so it's warming up. I'm like, great. So I look back and, and Mickey's like maybe 40 meters behind me on the trail, or not even that far, but it's open country. So so I get organized, I'm like, I get, I dig into my pack to grab this ring, and I'm I'm kneeling down, and uh, my back to her, and I'm trying to like, and I'm kind of stumbling through this process of trying to get the ring. I actually picked up some lichen. I was trying to set the ring and lichen inside the box, and and uh, just as I've kind of got my act together, I could hear her footsteps behind me, and I swing around. and I'm looking up, like I'm one one knee looking at her, and she's she's like looking right past me with her binoculars up, and she's like. Dum! and she's like, kicking at me, trying to get my attention and like, looking down at me, looking through the binoculars. And of course, she's like, sheep, sheep. And I, I, I look over my shoulder and there's like a herd of sheep, uh, maybe like 50 yards from us all just hanging out, checking us out as to what's going on. And of course, she eventually sees what's going on and it all get kind of
1: worked out from there. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we had witnesses. That's He's, awesome, uh, dude. This herd of sheep, good. checking us out. <laughs> Best engagement story ever, man. Yeah. yeah. Right, cool.
0: Anyways, the bet. Well, and then the, the part of the story where I kind of got caught up in that story, but but the uh, so we do the. Okay, she says yes. Okay, right now, okay, we can go after these bucks again. So now we we took we off down the hill. Now and we got great conditions, and we we get up to this ridge where we think we're going to find these bucks. And like honestly, like I've been on this till, like I said thirty years, and I've seen some beautiful deer, and there is this stomper of a mule deer buck. Like look, looking. Out over this beautiful landscape, about three hundred yards away from us on the ridge next to us, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's just a, what a, what a deer! Like, just an incredible deer. By far the biggest mule deer I've ever seen, and certainly the biggest deer I've seen on this piece of country." And and uh, anyways, he actually like started walking down the hill towards us. Something kind of spooked him up there, and he started walking down the hill towards us. And our you know our range is probably like a couple hundred yards, and to to feel comfortable shooting. And he starts walking down the hill. i oh my God, is this going to work out? I mean, I could have this like perfect marriage proposal and like the, <laughs> this incredible deer <laughs> just to pop yeah. it off. And, and uh, unfortunately he just didn't walk out. Like he, I thought it was going to work out perfect. Mickey was set up and it was like, oh my God, this could be just magic. So all the better. We get to go back and see if we can turn up this guy and, uh, or any, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're not yeah. all that set on it. Anyway, yeah. just having that experience to see a deer like yeah. that.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, That's super did, awesome. did you guys get a deer last year? Oh yeah, at, at that spot. Okay. Did no, you know uh, that spot? No, no oh, we didn't, we didn't okay. kill a deer there. We
0: we had a great hunt. We saw half a dozen bucks and just uh,
1: yeah, we kind of were sort of set on that one if we could find it. And, you know, I was gonna kinda, say, man did you did you bring at least the euro euro amount to the wedding to to, to bear witness? <laughs> well, yeah. we That's, brought that. We, we did we did double up on whitetail. We had a great little whitetail oh. hunt and we
0: doubled up. And uh, we, we uh, took the legs, the back legs from those two, and uh, we got a black tail as well on a um, on a on one of our hunts. So we had six deer legs uh, for the for the wedding. Oh, and that's we, awesome! And, and uh, do you guys know the flip flop guy? The yeah, yeah, yeah
1: follow him on Instagram. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. So, anyways, Andy, Andy, Andy sent us a bunch of uh, marinade. To, to flip-flop these deer legs so that was one of our one of the courses at our wedding was uh, all these deer legs that we we harvested together
2: Dude, and flip flop them over
0: coals it was it was that's awesome was
2: that idiot. marinade is like liquid gold it's pretty good man it was pretty good <laughs> he, yeah. Yeah, he loved it he does a good job with that stuff for yeah. the longest time it was just like a secret recipe and then he finally started bottling it up
0: yeah yeah it sounds like it's kind of a neat story what he's done with just you know flip-flopping deer legs and mm-hmm yeah uh, having a lot of fun with it and made a bit of a career out of it so yeah yeah he he's actually that's probably in, in the queue for me I got a pot his we did a podcast together and just had a had a good talk about how to do how to flip-flop deer legs so yeah um he's gonna be on my podcast here pretty quick
1: nice nice well sweet man well Lee you got any other uh any other questions yeah, what's like what's like one last
2: minute thing that you're trying to pick up right now that you or maybe not right now. But what's like one thing that you usually find down it that that you're leaving to last minute?
0: Oh, you know what totally leaving to last minute like and this is what I'm kicking myself right now is like gear maintenance, you know, like I, I for, you know, I forget, I'm like, oh, I'm pulling stuff out and I'm like, oh man, the zipper on that thing, I totally meant to send that mm-hmm. sleeping bag off and get that repaired or do something about replacing it. And that's the biggest screw up. Like I'm also right now I'm, you know, I'm, I've got, uh, I think it's the oldest, the oldest tent. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had a piece of Tyvek sitting in my garage for six months now and it's some grommets. I keep meaning to make a good ground tarp for it. Uh, and, and, uh, and I like, oh damn. So I I, said, I got, I got to take it off tomorrow morning at six in the morning. I'm just like scrambling to do these little bits of maintenance. And it's something that I could have done six months ago in the middle of winter, but here I am, you know, going down the list now. So I think, I think gear maintenance is a big one. I think we don't take care of our gear nearly well enough as we should considering the cost of it all. Um, yeah. But then also having, you know, everything fixed and ready to go and making sure it's, you know, it's good to go, you know, so. I think that's a big one for me, and the the other one, it's like just having a system for all this stuff. Like I, you know, I, I got the gear list is one thing, but you know, making sure you kind of it is a fairly complicated thing getting this all together, like all all your gear and having a storage system, an organization system. Sure. I use the blue box yeah. system, and you know yeah, one's too. Packraft, one's you know, calling gear. One is you know, uh, my layers. And, and just so you have a place to put all your shit and then you can know where to find it, even if it's not totally organized, at least you know it's in that box somewhere. And as you sort of dig into that box, you, you know, hopefully you get most of the stuff out of there that you're going to need. And, yep. um, and then you can kind of cross-reference with your list and be semi-organized to get after it. And,
2: yeah. My big thing with organization now is like in my new place, the garage isn't nearly as big as my old place. Um. And it's not very tall either. Like my garage was, I mean, this house is, I think built in like the seventies or something. So yeah, my garage is not very tall. So there's a bunch of stuff just sitting on the ground right now, just covered in cobwebs. I'm sure I'm gonna dig through there, get a spider bite, and die here in a little bit. Um, <laughs> or I'm gonna become Spider Man, and I'm really hoping for that one. But uh, um, you know, like, how do you get all this stuff in like a nice, neat place? Because I mean. I like lost my bugle tube. That's like, that's what we were talking around. I was like, Oh me, I'm that person who's like lost something and needs to try to replace it at the last minute. Um, lost my bugle tube. So just had to get another one. Don't know where the other one's at.
0: I got one more note here and this is totally, I'm going to do this tomorrow and I, I wish I didn't do it, but it's don't pack at the trailhead. So like uh, Ah yeah. Mm, yeah. Like, you know, don't just throw up at the trail with your three blue bins with all your shit in it and then just start mm-hmm. going throwing shit in your pack. Like I, I'm trying to That's get like, to a place yeah. where I I I gotta pack my bag tonight. It's gonna be sitting on the couch, my gun, my my binox, my chest harness, everything I need is to, my boots are gonna be sitting there. I'm literally gonna like put my kit on, put my backpack in the back of my truck and like I'm ready to go. I'm not. I'm not doing this thing where I'm just sort of packing stuff together. At, and and it's especially a pain in the butt if you're doing like a an expedition with a buddy. And you know you're the organized one, and you got your backpack all ready to go. And your buddy is you know ba- the yeah.
1: most annoying. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Oh yeah. yeah. counting count out his yeah, counting
0: his oatmeal's at the trailhead. I'm like, yeah. really? Like you didn't yeah. do that last week when you had some time?
1: Maybe yeah, uh, I, yeah, man. Yeah. It's don't be pre- that guy. Preparation. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Because when you get to the don't truck, you're, no like, you're like, I want to get out there. Like, that's my thing, dude. Yeah. I'm so yeah. quick from getting to the truck to to leaving, you know, and when, when I have to wait for people, it's very annoying. So, totally. don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. So, I start, so I've started doing, like,
0: uh, like even to the point, like, and you know, you know, I'm fortunate cause I got a lot of extra gear now, uh, but... I've just got my truck kit, right? So that's going to have like my driving clothes. It's going to have an extra sleeping bag. If we're stopping overnight, it's crashing on buddy's floor somewhere. But just like, you know, try you know, if you're going to have a bit of dupe, maybe it's your heavy bag. Maybe it's your old thermal rest, but you just like have that separate. Like, and then just throw that in the truck and throw it in a duffel bag. That's your truck kit. It's yep. good to have extra stuff like that in your truck anyways, just in case you get caught overnight in the truck, whatever. Um, but yeah, like that's to me that a second toothbrush that's not hard to do, right? So you don't have to you know dig around. Like so, have a truck kit, have your bag ready to go, and make sure at the end of your trip you go dig through your pack and go, hey, did I use this? Yes, no? Did I use these batteries? Did I like look at how the food that you have left over, and go back to that gear list and make a note of it, so you know exactly how much fuel you used, both the gas and your and how much food fuel you used. Like so, just. Yeah, and then and then you'll you'll you feel more and more prepared and organized next time you, you know, get ready for yep. one of these trips for
1: sure. Totally. No doubt. Well I appreciate am you, man. Super
2: super uh guilty of doing a lot of that stuff. Like yeah.
1: not like not packing top.
2: at the trailhead, but like just like being disorganized and then, you know, scrambling the night before or whatever. So
0: Well, we're all going to do it. It just, how organized of a scramble
1: can you do? That's the the trick, right? (laughs) How organized can you be disorganized? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No doubt. Cool, guys. Well, sweet, man. Yeah, I I really appreciate you uh, sharing your knowledge. um, You know, the perspective of somebody that deals with with new hunters a lot, I think, is very useful in gear preparation Mm -hmm. and trip planning. And uh, yeah, man. Always good to have you on the podcast, and uh, yeah, we'll have to link up uh, maybe in the spring and see how all your trips went, see what the success rates look like, and uh, yeah, man, I can tell you right now it's going to be a hundred percent success rate. Perfect, what we're looking for. Yes, yeah. sir, hundred mm-hmm.
0: percent on the adventure. Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. there hey, you that's go. yeah, that's there true. You go. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's always a hundred percent success rate. Yeah, yeah. Yep.